This episode is sponsored by the IoT Job Site, the world's only dedicated space for applying for and advertising IoT vacancies across the world. Register now for job alerts or get in touch via Let's Talk at the IoTJobSite.com. Welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. Nick Earl joins us today from SI. If you don't know SI, SI is a fast-growing IoT enablement business based here in the UK in Surrey. They have over 2,000 global customers. Nick, welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. Great, Tom. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And of course, Nick, no stranger to podcast yourself, obviously hosting a very uh, popular IoT Leaders podcast. Yes, that's right. But it's nice to be on the other side of the desk and I'll uh, look forward to see how you do. Yeah, no pressure. No <laughs> pressure. Um, so uh, thank you, everyone. And thank you to all our listeners. In fact, this is the first time I think I've recorded a podcast this year in 2022 and I haven't done it for a little while. So there is a little bit of apprehension. Do I still know what I'm on about? Can I still hold a conversation? Only time will tell. Um Ladies and gentlemen, so if you don't know, Nick Earl, aside of running the IoT Leaders podcast, is the CEO of SI. Uh, Nick, can you just give a short introduction to yourself and your background in IoT, please? Yeah, well, a uh, short intro, um, more years than I care to remember uh, in the IT industry, um, but let's just say it's several decades. Um, I've worked in five countries, done most bits of the IT industry, sort of hardware, software, uh, cloud, I I guess um, uh, Snapshot is, this is my fourth um, privately held company and I've done two big jobs at um, worldwide SVP level for two $50 billion companies, one at HP, which is over in Silicon Valley, and one at Cisco, uh, which was my last big one, where I ran the worldwide services uh, business, and which is about a quarter of the uh, company from a quota perspective, and the cloud cloud and managed services program globally. I've also dabbled in some uh, 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 non IT stuff. I run I was global operations uh, head of global operations for Hyperloop, so we can talk about transportation projects. But I don't think we will do on this this one. Um, and so I've been here as CEO of SI for uh, three and a half years. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mean, fantastic background, uh, Cisco HP. Hyperloop, we'll definitely have to chat about that in another conversation. Unfortunately, yeah. we probably, probably won't be able to now. Well, but... well I'm, the guy, I'm the guy who tried and failed to kill HS2, so... Um... Right, okay. <laughs> well, in that case, I don't want to polarise our audience, so, uh, <laughs> so we'll definitely leave that one for now, I think, Nick. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, look, let's just jump straight into it. I mean, Obviously, we, we had a pre-call, as we do, with a lot of our guests on the show, just to talk about things that we wanted to talk about. And one of the things that you had mentioned in that call was obviously 2022 being quite a disruptor to IoT. Lots of changes, lots of things going on. You know, your insights in this are really invaluable. So if, to kick off, could, could you talk about what you think is going to happen in 2022? Yeah, I mean, of course, everyone thinks a lot of things are going to happen. And you have to say, well, didn't you say the same things last year? Um, we always think things, it, this is the year it's going to happen, right? Oh, believe me, this is the time. You know, maybe going back to, uh, actually in my Cisco days, uh, you know, in, it was I think it was 2010 or 2011 that a whole bunch of companies, including Cisco, said there'd be 50 billion things connected by 2020. And none of us, I think, ever thought we'd be doing a podcast at the beginning of 2022 and say, okay, what actually happened? But the answer was 11, 11 billion. 
and um, the bulk of those were smartphones and tablets. So if you actually say pure IoT uh, devices, it's about three billion. <laughs> it's hardly a, a fantastic achievement. So clearly there was some major, major issues. And uh, frankly, you can sum it up as one word, you know, complexity. Everyone says it's so damn complex. But the question is, so why is it going to change in 2022? And because it's still pretty complex, but there are two or three things which are happening sort of pseudo independently, which actually, I think if you take a step back, say, actually, this is actually going to change the structure of the industry. And let me give you an example. One of the things is, is um, the eSIM. So um, the eSIM, uh, which is, I'm not talking about the physical um, form factor because mm. eSIM become an iSIM, it'll get inside the module. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that it's dynamically programmable OTA. So what we're doing is we're breaking the 40-year lock that there's been between the MNO, the mobile network operator, and the SIM. Because the SIM was it just was did many things, but one of the things it, it definitely did was it would it would take a proprietary IMSI, the international mobile subscriber identity, into the device and lock it in. So once you chose your SIM, you chose your MNO. The MNO chose the roaming partners and they control the switch. eSIM basically breaks that proprietary lock. So 820, 830 MNOs all now moving to eSIMs. SIM manufacturers are all making their SIMs as eSIMs now. 2022 is the year where it really takes off. And you think about it, you've had 820 stovepipe proprietary solutions available if you want to do globally global mm -hmm. connectivity. And now you can have a single SIM and the user uh, or the MVNO, Mobile Virtual Network Operator, can choose the underlying connectivity partner. That is arguably the most fundamental change to cellular connectivity in the IoT context that, that there's been. And it would have very, very significant um, uh, consequences. Um, one of them in particular is uh, actually very positive. Like all, all disruption, is, there's winners, there's losers, and there's new entrants. The winners are primarily the large enterprises. You know, if you look at the data of the 11 billion versus the 50, it's classic Pareto, Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm, pick your um, business uh, uh, school uh, theory. But uh, it was the 20% of the companies, the biggest companies that own 80% of the things that haven't done the global rollouts. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of experimentation, but we haven't had true global rollouts. The reason the big companies have not yet crossed the chasm is because they couldn't put a single SIM in a device and have it connect anywhere in the world, anywhere. They want a global SIM, but there isn't a global MNO. And so um, uh, one of the big winners of the eSIM model will be large enterprises who can say, I can now put a SIM, say chip on the board of a device at manufacture. And when I deploy it, it will choose the MNO. So winner enterprise. So that will cause an inflection of adoption. Then you have um, new entrants who see things as, a, as an opportunity. So there will be recent announcements since you did your last podcast. Um, uh, AWS now offering AWS private IoT. Um, so, um, you know, you can, as an enterprise, you can buy a, a 5G license, a private IoT license. You don't have to be an MNO, regulated as an MNO. And now what you get is AWS saying, well, you'd be able to buy connectivity from AWS. Well, that will be an eSIM and you buy your connectivity off a marketplace. And so if you think about that, then the MNOs, not only are going to lose the proprietary lock, but they are also going to actually, if they go with the hyperscalers, 
they're going to be competing with everybody else based on pretty much one parameter called price, which is not what you want. Hmm. And so, so, so two major uh, answers to your question. One is I think eSIM is the most fundamental change for a long, long time. And secondly, uh, it's going to be great for enterprises. You're going to see more global, uh, uh, truly global solutions, which is great because we want the business outcomes from IoT. But actually what you will see is um, MNOs in particular under pressure to move up the value stack and become truly global and compete based on global capabilities, which will mean interoperability between MNOs, partnerships, as opposed to just roaming agreements, which is really just a commercial model to fill in the gaps uh, where they don't have their own coverage. Yeah. It's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. I think what I've spoken about with people in the past is this need for a common platform, a common understanding across lots of different areas. And that's added to the complexity of the rollout. So the fact that we're here with, as you say, 3 billion actual devices, things that perhaps you know, aren't uh, necessarily just mobiles and tablets as well, yeah. um, is 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 this issue, right, of SIMs being locked to countries and various other bits and pieces. Um, so I think absolutely this is going to be a fantastic growth area in 2022. Um, staying on the lines of eSIM acceleration, um, you, you know, you've gone on record in a report of mentioning around a single MPLS network, um, the rise of this and, 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 and obviously you've just touched on it now. Can we talk about potential um, 5G and the disruption that 5G is going to have as well? Yeah, there's a lot there just to unpack it. First of all, just to explain the report, yeah, we've done an IoT predictions report, which is on the SI, um, uh, ESEYE uh, website, um, which covers this in a bit more detail. But um, first of all, let me start off in the order, which I think if I can recall, you asked the question, uh, what do enterprises want? They want one platform. And by one platform, it's really one CMP, connectivity management platform, which manages public networks and private. So it, it not separate platforms. Today, the MNOs um, not only have their own proprietary SIMs, but they have to choose a, a, a connectivity management platform. So there's the Cisco Jasper camp. There's the Ericsson DCP camp. There's the Verizon ThingSpace camp. There's the Vodafone GDSP camp, there's the Nokia wing camp, yada, yada, yada. So if you're a large enterprise, not only have you got all these silos, but you've actually got to add together all these platforms to create a single platform. And then what you want is a single platform for all your SIMs, not one, one a different set of platform for a different subset of SIMs, because otherwise you're going to get different APIs, different contracts, different pricing. So the whole thing is ripe for simplification, interoperability, and disruption. Mm. I mean, it is incredibly fragmented. It's no surprise. You could argue it's a bigger surprise that we got to 3 billion, that, that we, not that we didn't get to 50 billion. It's just the cost of, of gluing it all together is, is put on the shoulders of the user and is, is, the, is the reason why it's complex because it's a fragmented proprietary IT ecosystem. So all technology starts off as proprietary, uh, and then ultimately, uh, user demand causes um, the requirement of an international standard to emerge and interoperability. And so with EUICC, what we're now getting is the ability to transfer the connection. And then what you get is an abstracted agnostic platform that's cloud-based, which sits above the MNOs that does all the things that I said, handles anyone's SIM, single set of APIs, single remote SIM provisioning, single pricing, 
and actually federates connectivity across the MNOs. So packages up and presents connectivity as a service to the end user. So why is the M is an MPLS network important? Well, the moment you start saying the target market is enterprise, then you have to actually look at what do enterprises want. They don't sit around the you know exec team uh, table and say, well, what we really need is a is an MPLS network. What they say is we're really worried about security for our devices. So as the number of devices connects, because we're solving the interoperability uh, problem, the number of devices grows exponentially. As the number of devices that are connected grows exponentially, the threat surface grows exponentially. So when we did our survey, another report on our website says, what's the number one inhibitor that is uh, um, uh, uh, holding you back from adopting? It actually wasn't this complexity. That was number two. The, the uh, security concerns were number one. We think of, you know, colonial pipeline, you know, and that's just scratching the surface of what's happening because devices are not, IoT devices are not sophisticated. You can't put agent software on them. You can't control the processor. You can't control the firmware. So there isn't a, there isn't a model for just putting, for securing these devices that really works. And the other problem is that, that as the devices hop between the MNOs because of EUICC switching, their IP address is changing. So now you think about it, you're, the, you're not Tom, the uh, podcaster. You're now uh, CIO of uh, Megacorp and you want to roll out 100,000 SIMs worldwide. And those SIMs, you're going to put eSIMs in, EUICC enable eSIMs because that's future. And you think your SIMs are connected to Vodafone. And then tomorrow morning, 400 of them are connected to Telefonica or they're connected to Verizon or, oh, they just, 20 just moved to AT&T. Every time they move, the IP address changes. So there's two consequences of that. First of all, if your application contains the IP addresses, which about 25, 30% of applications do, they say, I know where the device is, reach out to this IP address. The device isn't there. So never mind securing it. You can't find it. And the, the, second, the second consequence of that is that if you had, were, say, using Vodafone for all your SIMs in a pre-SIM world, now you're using 40 or 50 MNOs because it's all being federated and packaged for you. How are you going to implement security policy centrally with auto deployment to the edge? You can, in, a, in one Uber mega uh, MNO model, well, my security is implemented over a private um, uh, link to Vodafone. Vodafone, I use Vodafone security. But if your SIMs are connected to 25 or 30 MNOs, you're going to have to do that 25 or 30 times once you found the device. Because when, it, when a SIM switches on EUICC from Vodafone to Telefonica, Vodafone doesn't know that it's gone. They just know that it's not, doesn't know where it's gone. They just know it's not connected to them. It's like you pass the rugby ball, but you close your eyes. You don't know who's caught it. You just know you don't have the ball anymore. So you're an enterprise and you think, well, how can I, how on earth can I, isn't this just made security worse? Now, if the MVNO, the person with the abstracted agnostic switch in the cloud, single set of APIs, et cetera, which is what SI is, but if that MVNO has a single MPLS network through which all packets traverse, regardless of which MNO they are connected to, so they've implemented their architecture on a ring network with all the MNOs connected to the ring, as opposed to a point-to-point -point architecture, which most MVNOs use. If they have a ring MPLS network connecting their data centers, then they 
it doesn't matter how many which which MNOs the devices switch between. For them, they've so they've got their packets, and they know where they they know where the devices are because they're keeping track of of the switch because they're doing the RSP, the remote SIM provisioning. So suddenly you start thinking about asset um, uh, visibility, security, compliance, a whole bunch of policies, configuration policy, industry vertical um, uh, compliance, a whole series of, of corporate uh, must-haves, which are nothing to do with data from IoT devices. They're the corporate IT policy. They are going to have to be deployed to the edge even more importantly than deploying it to the printers in the office. So, and by the way, all the devices in the office gradually will go from a um, Wi-Fi connection to a private 5G connection. And your factory with all your robots and your pallets is going to be 5G. So basically, um, even today, what we think is on the corporate network, in the future, we'll go to a private 5G network. So suddenly you're faced with maybe 80, 90% of all your devices are on networks that you don't control. The only way of implementing policy to the edge is through a single eye of the needle approach, which has to be a, a private MPLS network, which is run by the MBNO. And if, if the MBNO has a private MBNS network, then they can say, you tell me your security policy and I will apply it using my partnerships uh, or my own software to all devices, regardless of the fact that they're switching, because they, they may be switching at the end, but from my point of view, they're just packets on the network. And so um, uh, we formed a deep partnership with a company called Armis, which is a agentless security company, the world leaders, Gartner ranked top, top uh, magic quadrant in agentless, which does exactly that, which is to be able to do um, agentless security for IoT devices in an eSIM world. It's just one example, but what what the point I'm trying to make is if you if you let go of the technology and helicopter out and saying what does this really mean, the IoT market is going to fragment into low cost providers. Like you know, once great if you want low cost simple functionality, uh, cheap data. There's a bunch of cheap data people, and you'll find them listed on AWS Marketplace. We'll compete based on cost per megabyte, but it's a volume market. If you want enterprise value and be, and be able to pass that tick list, which the CIO, the CISO, uh, the CFO, uh, the CEO of these companies want in large enterprises, you have to have enterprise capabilities. And those enterprise capabilities need to be deployed to the edge where the edge is dynamic and switching between MNOs, public and private. And that's why MPLS extension of policy to the edge is fundamentally important. And so we believe that the market will bifurcate into volume and value. And value uh, is a high bar for people to move up to uh, because it does require these sorts of capabilities that I've described. So. I do believe you'll start to see that shake out in 2022 and it will apply to um, everybody. No one's immune from it, but certain industries, certain industry verticals will be one of the first to, to uh, adopt it. As always, certain industries go first, sort of the Jeffrey Moore bowling pins, if you know you're crossing the chasm. Certain industry goes go first, but we'll cross the chasm or start to cross in 2022 and get into mainstream adoption in 2023. Yeah, I mean it's it's a big shift, isn't it? In general, um, huge. 
Yeah, absolutely. Def- long overdue, long overdue shit. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Right. There's a, there's a slightly ironic or <laughs> or just bad timing element to that is while she was talking about e-sims, the e-sim in my Apple Watch decided to ring and I had to turn it off midway through uh, so it didn't spoil the podcast. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting you say that, and I didn't know you were going to say that, but if you actually look at does this world already exist, there is a, just to get technical for a bit, there's um, there's something, there's a technology in consumer devices, you, you don't have this. Your Apple Watch does not, you don't have to think which M&O am I going to be connected to. It uses mm. something called SMDP+, which basically allows it to pull the IMSI from the uh, different uh, operators. So you can take your Kindle or your watch or whatever it is all the way around the world. You turn it on and you don't think about it um, uh, especially if it's a cellular connected device, let's take your Kindle. You don't think about it. It connects. You can download a book on any beach in the world, yeah. in the world. But that is consumer uh, technology for consumer devices. When you look at business technology for business IoT devices, you have to manage the M and O's. So the, the 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 what we're looking at is the model that was created for things like cars, because clearly Tesla. You don't have to think about it cars and Kindles and those big devices, which was only connected for a very few people, now entering mainstream mainstream and becoming available for all devices. Um, so the FYI, it's, um, it does exist. It has been proven. It's just not entered the world of industrial IoT yet. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, often it's the case of many initiatives and tech initiatives, right? You know, um, you know the consumer side. It, it, it it's sometimes a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. volume. There's money, there's volume, and the users aren't sophisticated, so you have to do it. Yeah. Nick, you, you've touched briefly on, on SI there, uh, a company you're obviously a CEO of, uh, and a little bit about the work that you're doing. I'd like you to give you a bit more of the opportunity to talk about the business because, you know, real phenomenal success as a company, you know, the relationship that you've got with it's um, Ar- Armis, isn't it? The relationship? Well, Armis is the, uh, the security. Um, yeah. yeah, we're Armis's partner for um, security uh, amongst multiple relationships yeah 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 um what can we expect to see from from si advancements in the business um going forward as well specifically yeah um a lot of things but maybe one of the best ways is to uh you know what i'm going to talk about your apple apple watch again okay uh, i'm glad I, i'm glad i bought it up <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you didn't turn it off and put it on yeah. side. <laughs> look the question is um which industries are going to adopt first and because whichever whichever industries go first that cross the chasm the bowling pins uh you know the industries that knock down the front bowling pins and the rest of them go down that's where we'll go so you want to know where we're going we'll go we follow the money as everybody mm. does. so let's talk about one and uh, when you're talking about your watch um i think it's a good example i'm going to talk about healthcare right so let's take healthcare apps you know i've got fitbit on you've got Apple Watch. You've obviously got more money than me. You paid more for it. <laughs> I've got I've got the Aura Ring as well. Actually, oh, I left yeah, it at yeah. home this I've morning. Got, I've got a four year old um, <laughs> Fitbit with a cracked screen, but it really right. Works. Okay. <laughs> but the point is that if you look at all these health apps and da 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 da, da uh, it's based on your um, uh, your Apple Watch, which you've synced by Bluetooth to your iPhone. When you take healthcare and what's going on in uh, COVID now, protect the in the UK, protect the NHS. Uh, you want to free up the beds 
and so you want to you want to get people out of the beds who haven't got COVID to free up the beds to put people in who have got COVID. And at the same time, you can't get an appointment with your doctor anymore. You're lucky if you can get a phone call. And so this whole area is called RPM, remote patient management. And basically what we're seeing is an IoT-enabled disruption, which is fundamentally, like work from home, fundamentally changing a model, which is where you don't go to get the treatment. The treatment comes to you. Treatment comes to you. So you don't go to the doctor. The doctor comes to you. You don't. You 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 may go to a hospital, but you check out pretty quickly and you go home with the medical instruments. Now the point about that is that the, the people who need this care are, let's say, eighty-five year old um, uh, person. Uh, they are not going to sync an Apple Watch to an iPhone at eighty-five in order to send the data back to the hospital. Because in fact, your app on your Apple Watch doesn't go to your hospital. It goes to a startup company who says, I'm going to offer you services that tell you what's wrong with you. So the whole model is built differently. It's with disruptors at the other end. So what we're seeing happening is that is is that what you really want to do is take the devices that are, for instance, in a hospital room, like a pulse oximeter, which is really important for COVID, um, uh, the oxygen level of your blood, uh, a heart monitor, a glucose uh, machine that measures your glucose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Take the devices that are normally on these trolleys that go around the, the hospital and they get wheeled from room one to room 27 and nobody knows where the hell it is. So, so actually let people check out of a hospital and go home with a box of devices that ubiquitously connect to anybody. They just get, connectivity becomes a feature and they just turn it on and their doctor can see a portal of how they're doing and they can monitor them. And there's some AI software which runs uh, in the cloud that says uh, that, that, that Tom's uh, numbers are okay, but this one is is trending in the wrong way. So you have an intervention that they, they, the doctor reaches out to you. Uh, the same thing with your, your doctor at home. What, you know, you, it, it's based on I'm sick. I make the, the choice that I'm sick. Therefore, I phone up for an appointment and I don't get one. But... but we should be able to be monitored by our GP, uh, not just by a, a, a startup health app. So, so what we're seeing is that um, with the advent of ubiquitous connectivity and eSIM capabilities, you actually can get uh, small devices that just cellular connect anywhere in the world. That is one of the problem from an IoT perspective you have to solve, which is this thorny issue of roaming versus localization. And that's probably a good place to finish. Over and above the fragmentation of the industry, which is 800 and whatever players all saying, my sim, my sim, my sim. Um, you also have the regulators who are helping those players by, by the imposition of permanent roaming restrictions. So if you were now back to, you're now this project manager again, Omega Corp, and I say to you, okay, Tom, I've explained to you about eSIMs. I've explained to you about MNOs. I've explained to you about platforms. Oh, is that everything, Nick? Oh, no, it's just one more thing. One more thing. Uh, make sure your devices aren't uh, connected for more than three months. And you go, what? No, well, the, three months is permanent roaming. You're going to get kicked off. Why am I going to get kicked off? Well, it's a bit complicated. I can't explain right now. But after three months, you've got to swap the SIM in the device for the local. So if you're in the US, you've got, you can't roam from a European provider. After three months, you've got to take the SIM out and put a Verizon SIM in because there's permanent roaming. And you say, well, I can't take the SIM out of the device. It's, it's in my device. You know, it's locked in. It's on the board. 
And so that's yet another barrier. So what, what we've done is that we have a, like the Star Alliance. It, it's a series of MNOs around the world that we interconnect to, but we can localize this, our eSIM onto these partners. So we, we can localize a SIM onto Verizon OTA. So it's the only SIM that can be made to look like a Verizon SIM without it being a Verizon SIM. So when it lands, you have a pulse oximeter in the UK, it works. Take it with you in your suitcase to the US. It, lo it doesn't just roam onto Verizon, it localizes onto Verizon. You'll never get kicked off. So if you move to the US, it's the same product. So the point I'm trying to make is eSIM on its own is, is the switch. But what you then need is the ability to have federated or EUICC enabled orchestration with the maximum choice of localization with roaming infill, which is what I meant by the Star Alliance model. Buy one airline ticket, fly on any airline. Don't think about it, right? They're competitors, but that's not your problem. You bought a ticket, right? And so, so one thing that we, by having that model, what we're able to do is offer global connectivity, which is why this small company in 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 Guildford runs the IoT for four of the Fortune 10. So we do all of Amazon's IoT, right? Well, we're a tiny company, but we do Amazon. The reason is Amazon want to be able to put a locker on any street corner in the, in the world and it just connects and it stays connected. So we do Shell's EV chargers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what, 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 what I think is when you think about that and you get it, the light goes on, you say, okay, ubiquitous connectivity from the point I switch it on with a global offering. Then you start saying, where are the industries that are going to go? Healthcare is a really obvious one. Healthcare is a huge pressure uh, to actually free up the beds, uh, solve the problem with the GPs, etc. EV charging, really obvious one because the move to e electric uh, cars, asset tracking, really obvious one, because when things move, they go between um, uh, M&Os. And so you can look, you can find these industries, which in 2022 will become big adopters of ubiquitous global connectivity. So putting a bow around it, for all these reasons, I, I think things never happen as quickly as you think, you know, never make a prediction and have a, a number and a time scale in the same sentence. But having said that, I really believe that 2022 will see the big guys, companies adopt global solutions where they are in control um, and the, the players underneath um, are playing a different role to what they're playing today. Uh, and, and the net benefit of all of that would be the complexity will, will go away. It'll get less. The choices will increase and the inflection point of adoption will, will, will start to occur. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the main issues, isn't it? As we touched on at the start, you know, I, I like to call it greed and good, right? So, you know, if you think about IoT and what IoT can do, generally it's helping people in the environment. And, and I think that the definition of IoT in its simplest terms is connecting uh, objects and environment to the internet, right? So if we can't have a common platform or people working together in a good way, then we can't connect the amount of devices to really... Yeah. Uh, justify where this could go, but equally we've got private business that are after the money, as you say, and there's no shame being after the money. You know, no, really is, good. yeah, yes. yeah. And I and, and I kind of feel that sometimes we're at odds with this. You know, there's one playing against the other, and so on and so forth. But it's 
but it's nice to hear that the work that you're doing in the businesses well, yeah, and amongst others I, I would you know push back a little bit on that tom um because i think the view that this is it's easy to argue the point this is good because it's good for the end user and then you can say well it's bad for the people who are making a very good business by the fact that they can't do this but if you go back 40 years which uh, <laughs> let's say some of us can um Every technology that I've seen since I left university um, uh, started off as proprietary, with no interoperability, got to a certain level, stalled, and then end-user demand insisted on interoperability and some form of standard. So when I first got my job in um, Manchester selling mini computers for HP, we sold the HP 3000, and our biggest benefit... <laughs> was it had its own software, none of which would run on the DECVAX or the AS400. And then suddenly open systems, Unix, everything was interoperable. And then we had PCs and there was you know, Microsoft PCs and Apple PCs. Okay, it's mostly interoperable now. It's not completely interoperable. But anyway, when I first got my mobile phone, I remember it was huge, I had a big strap. It was about 15 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, was, I used to carry this thing around. <laughs> but I, if I met you then, I'd say, you said, oh, I've got one of those, mine's heavy as well. But I said to you, what network are you on? I'm on Vodafone. If you said, oh, I'm not on Vodafone, I'm on whoever. Oh, sorry, I can't call you because you're not on my network. Well, it's nonsense now. We have interoperability. Open source with software. Um, uh, the cloud uh, made everything transparent. You don't ask what servers Amazon run. Yeah, I could go on and on and on. Every technology starts off as proprietary and ultimately end user demand to, uh, uh, forces interoperability around a common standard. And, and as a result of which, the lesson from history is adoption increases. Cisco's business increased when it could send packets to a Juniper router or an Avaya uh, uh, switch. So interoperability isn't a threat. Actually, it makes the overall pie bigger for everybody. And the reason is that end users spend more, so the pot gets bigger. And when we talk about 11 billion versus 50 billion, it's not about who's got the 11 billion or the 3 billion of the 11 billion. It's about the 39 billion that people wanted to put on the net, put onto IoT, that they're not doing so yet. The moment you make it possible for them to do it, there's a lot of money for everybody so it's not a threat if you can make the transition and not get disrupted. You know, if you can become either volume or value, then you'll be able to do it. If you can't, you might fall down the middle and there's always casualties in any market disruption. So just as there will be in this time. But I do believe that although on the surface people say this is a threat, I think in retrospect, we should be able to take a step back and say, you know what, anything that's good for customers is good for all of us. This is going to make the market bigger. And yes, there will be casualties, but 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 that's always the case in business. If, but if you can adopt and if you can adapt, uh, then um, it actually makes the opportunities bigger, not smaller. Most important thing is you've got to build from what the customer wants inwards, not from what you make outwards. Yeah, very well summed up, Nick. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting just to go back to your point that you made about the connected devices. And I wonder whether or not Gartner and other research institutes were taking into account what those figures 
when looking at proprietary to inter interoperability? I suspect not. I was talking to them then, and uh, I'm talking. I no, I I think we genuinely believe. I mean, it, Cisco said it, IBM said it, Ericsson said it. I think we genuinely because we couldn't actually see what the problem was. I mean, I remember just before I left Cisco, John Chambers, our CEO, was saying. Well, I got it wrong. It wasn't 50 billion, it's 500 million. I mean, he wasn't saying it was 10 because the cost of the Moore's law is coming down. You can now put small sensors on boxes and packaging. And so if you look at it from a technology point of view, it's 500 million. Some people are saying, oh, well, you know, sensors get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you can print an IoT sensor, you can print a battery, it can generate its own power. You know, you can actually put IoT devices into the blood nanobots so you then say well it's trillions and from a from a technology point of view the numbers are huge when you actually look at it from a yeah but what's it going to take if the answer is well you just put a different sim in every device it's like you know it costs one of our analysts that we talked to Collado, said for a large enterprise every additional sim that they have to put into their products cost them half a million dollars a year of, of integration costs at the back end. So if you're a vendor, I've got 40% of that enterprise's SIMs, but they've got 10 SIMs, 10 platforms. They're spending 5 million a year gluing this stuff together. If you don't see that, you're selling your 40% or your 10%. So from a technology point of view, it, it yeah, it could go to trillions, but what's it going to take to make it frictionless and easy from an enterprise point of view. And that means interoperability and out of the box ubiquitous connectivity, single pane of glass, single support, single price, single contract, single set of APIs. These lessons have all been learned in the IT industry for the last 40 years. It's not new. It just hasn't happened yet in cellular connectivity. It's, we're not the first to do this. You can make a convincing case with a last to do this. Name me one other industry where there's 820 players, each having a leading with a proprietary product. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Well, Nick, I, I, I mean, it's, it's fantastic, you know, some of the work that you're doing and, and the awareness that you're raising around IoT. I mean, you know, going back to the fact that you run a podcast, I run a podcast, you know, we're... We decided to do this together to raise the overall yeah, profile, right? Yeah, and and yeah. and that's interoperability in a sense yeah. of media, right? Yeah, and the yeah, fact that yeah. and and the fact that we want to do that, and um, you know, it's it's been hugely interesting talking to you today, and you know, we wanted you on the show for ages, so I really really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thank you, thank you ever so much. Yeah. I've appreciated it. Sorry for the ping. Now my now I'm pinging, which is uh, it's okay. I, do you know what? I'm I'm pinging all over the shop, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what piece of software I'm running, whether or not I should turn it off or not. But yeah. uh, but there we are. Nick, uh, where can people find out more about yourself and your podcast, um, social media, etc.? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously me LinkedIn. So it's Nick Earl E A R L E. Uh, maybe it's popping up on the screen. Don't know. Uh, we'll, make, we'll make it pop up. Don't make worry. it pop up. Yeah, it really yeah. leaves the e off. Uh, the podcast is called IoT Leaders, so they can they know how to search for podcasts. Um, and uh, we have uh, just like this, we have we have guests. We have some great guests on um, uh, that uh, get into different different uh, verticals. We've got. I'll finish off. We've got a good one coming up soon. I haven't recorded it yet, but the next one I'm doing 
is when our two founders created Zigbee. So they're the Zigbee. Oh, guys. wow. Okay. Yeah. And they're still in the business just outside the door here. So, I mean, brains the size of planets. Well, talking about that, Zigbee is being used by the Mars rover to communicate with the helicopter. So literally, literally out of this world idea. Zigbee is being deployed on Mars. But um, they, uh, somebody said to me, why don't you, because we've had uh, Tony Shakib, uh, head of IoT for Microsoft. And we've had the head of IoT for AWS. We've had end users, analysts, you know. And somebody said, why don't you get your founders on? Because they created Zigbee and then they created SI. Everything I've talked about was nothing to do with me. It was the brilliant vision of Ian Marsden and Paul Marshall, our founders. And uh, I'm just I'm just the hired gun at the front end. And so uh, they said, why don't you get the founders on? So my next one, which will be interesting to try and control the meeting, uh, will be me trying, interviewing the founders about uh, what was the spark, the genesis of them um, uh, creating SI. Because in retrospect, you can all claim, oh, I, I thought that was, I thought this was true right from the very beginning. But actually, when you dig under the surface, most strategies people sort of fell into and they, they sort mm -hmm. of happened and you went a certain way. And so we've done a bit of a rehearsal, but I'm looking forward to that one. Um, but it's not recorded yet. So IoT leaders, and um, that's the way you do it. But I have listened to um, yours, Tom. So I'd rather than just plug mine, I would say they should tell their friends about yours. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. That's a great one. I like it. Oh, well, look, I appreciate that. I mean, um, I mean, ultimately, yeah, you know, my, my background was in embedded computing and I've been involved with hacking electronics together for, for quite a while. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah, so, so me. But um, really appreciate you coming on. Nick, once again, great. thank you. All right. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. I hope the listeners did as well. Guys, as always, get involved in the discussion. Do you agree with what Nick's saying with regards to IoT in 2022? As always, like, comment and subscribe. Next time, we'll be joined by Bjorn Hansen, head of IoT from Telia. Stay tuned for that.